Hello, and welcome back to Parallel Passion. Before we begin, I'd like to sincerely thank everyone who supports this show on Patreon. If you wish to join the awesome patrons of the show, go to patreon.com slash or follow the link in the show notes. You'll not only be supporting this podcast and the idea behind it, but you'll also receive some awesome stickers and maybe even a special surprise. Today, I'm joined by Nathan Barry. He's a prolific creator who wrote several books, built iPhone apps, had a podcast, and many more things. Then, he started an email marketing business called ConvertKit that now consumes most of his time. But that doesn't stop him from making things out of wood, moving to a farm, building a tiny house, or even buying a ghost town. I don't want to spoil the whole conversation, so here's Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Welcome to Parallel Passion. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's uh, it's my pleasure. How are you? I'm, I'm doing well today. I I'm, I'm feel super privileged to have you on. But um, why don't you just give like a quick um, intro of uh, who are you and uh, what do you do? Yeah, so I am a designer. Uh, I first started in web design, then now I live in the world of software design. Uh, I've run an email marketing company for creators called ConvertKit. And so that's pretty much all I do now. I still... <laughs> I have a blog that I uh, that I run. Took about a couple year break from it, but uh, now it's back in full swing at NathanBerry.com, where I talk about design and marketing and products and that kind of thing. Um, but ConvertKit really is the big venture. We've got a, a team of thirty eight people and uh, about twenty thousand customers, um, and so that's that's where nearly all of my time goes. Mm. And uh, like uh, I don't know. Um if people know, but ConvertKit like was a complete side business for you, right? Yeah, it was. And then you just decided to do it full time. I let's say I ran it for about the first two years on the side, and then the last four years have been full time. Obviously, the full time results have been significantly better than uh, the part time results. Mm-hmm. And um, did you like how did how did the the whole story start? Like, did you have a blog and you were just disappointed with all the email tools out there? Or yeah, that's pretty much it. So I started. I, I followed a lot of people um, back in the day, like Chris Coyer from CSS Tricks and and Chris Gillibo, who ran a blog called The Art of Nonconformity. And I was just fascinated by all these people building blogs and online businesses. So I wanted to do that. Um, my expertise at the time was designing iPhone apps. Mm-hmm. So I made a blog about how to do that. Um, and then I ended up writing a book about how to design iPhone apps, just called the app design handbook. Mm-hmm. And uh, I started learning about product launches, got into email marketing. And was like, Whoa, okay. This email marketing thing is interesting. I got an email list of about a thousand. Let's see, actually not about a thousand people of 798 people. <laughs> I know very precisely how many, um, and when I launched that book, uh, email was the biggest channel for selling. And I ended up selling $12,000 worth of the book nice. in the first day. And so I, I was blown away by that. Mm-hmm. Um, I ended up writing another book called Designing Web Applications. That went really well. And by that time, I had learned quite a bit of how to use email to drive sales and just found that MailChimp was getting in my way. Mm-hmm. And so then I wanted to get back into designing software and so I thought, okay, I'm going to go design and build my own email marketing tool. Um, and I way underestimated how hard it would be. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, it's it's paid off in the long term with the success of ConvertKit. 
Yeah, but you you also said in in passing just like oh I I wrote the book. It's it's not <laughs> someone doesn't just uh, write the book. So um, how how did that happen? Like, did you always wanted to write the book? How how was the process for you of just starting to to write? Because I imagine it's different to write the book than it is to write a couple of blog posts. Right, it, it is for sure. Um, but they both require habits and consistency. So I tried to start lots of projects before, and they'd all they all failed when, you know, basically they all failed when my motivation was tied to my output. Mm -hmm. So when I was excited about a project, it would go well. And then, um, you know, say a chapter in or after the second blog post, my motivation started to drop off. Then my output would drop off entirely. Mm -hmm. And that was it. That was the end of the project. Um, and so this time I knew I had to do something different. I wanted to publish a book uh, and I knew that the biggest obstacle for me would actually be writing. And so I made a commitment to myself to write a thousand words a day. And it took me a while to get that going. But once I did, you know, it, it took off and I, I had built a little iPhone app called commit mm -hmm. to track that habit. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I would build up a streak of two weeks or so. And then I'd miss a day for some reason, like vacation or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then I'd, build up a streak again. And by the time I published uh, the After Zen Handbook, I had a streak of uh, a little over 70 days in a row of writing a thousand words a day. But this thousand words, was there just like whatever or just book-specific thousand words? Mostly book-specific. Mm -hmm. um, but I would have accepted anything of like just getting in the habit of writing and building that muscle is worth it, even if you're not going to use it for a book. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's that's where I would, you know, push everything forward and... and uh, I remember when I published the book the next day, my phone popped up and said, are you going to write a thousand words today? And I remember thinking like, no, actually, like I'm done. I did it. <laughs> and then I looked at that streak of like 75 days in a row. And I thought, ah, oh, well, I don't want to break that chain. <laughs> so you just started another book. So I just started another book. <laughs> and 90 days later, I published that book. And another book I saw on uh, on your website is a book called Authority, which is on on self publishing. I, I found the tagline um, very interesting. Like the, I think the title is something like the idea that authors can't make money is bullshit or something like that. Yeah. So I found that I started to get after those two books. I was very transparent about how I made money from them, um, all the details of the launch, everything else. And I started to get more questions about, hey, how do you self-publish in a profitable way mm -hmm. than I was actually getting about how do you design software? Um, <laughs> and I thought that was interesting. And I was fascinated by the topic. So I said, okay, I'll write another book called Authority about that. And so actually like five months after publishing the second book, I published Authority. And that was back in 2013. And so that book has gone on to, you know, I think it's, been purchased by over 20,000 people. Um, oh, wow. And, and it's gone on to really shape a lot of, uh, people's businesses. And, and there's a lot of creators online right now that track their, their success back to authority, uh, which is pretty fun to have written the book that, uh, inspires so much of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, but that was still a long time ago. That was five years ago now. Oh, wow. But uh, I don't know, for me, uh, it, it seems that time flies sometimes. Like when, when you're doing some projects, if it, it feels like um, you you just 
barely just did them, but it's like, yeah, it's already five years ago or something like that. Right. So does it does it feel the same to you here or does it feel like a, another life already? I'm not sure. I mean, it, it feels like a long time ago. Well, that that mean, that just means you you moved on from from I guess writing books to focusing on ConvertKit, right? Um, and I definitely I definitely moved on to to other things. But you know, I'm actually back in the habit of writing now. I'm working on a new book uh, called Create Every Day. Okay, which is about um, making a living. Basically, it's about making the switch from being a consumer to a creator. Mm-hmm. So someone who's, you know, just watching TV, reading blog posts, all that kind of stuff to becoming the person who's making those videos that people watch or writing the blog posts or writing the books that everyone consumes. Um, and then how to, to make, make a living from that. So it's probably the mainstream version of authority. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. I'm, I'm working on that now. Is there something particular that inspired you to, to do that? Like some, um, I don't know, uh, current uh, anti anti consumption uh, movement that I, I see, um, or is it just you wanted to write another book? Um, really, for me, I think it's the single biggest, the single most impactful change you can make in your life uh, is to make that switch. Mm-hmm. And so, I just want to help more people do that. We've got twenty thousand creators using ConvertKit. It's like great. Let's. Uh, let's show more and more people that they can can make this switch. They can start creating more than they consume, and uh, it's just a huge quality of life improvement when you do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and one thing that I guess you did after that that I I discovered when I was looking you up is uh, you also had a podcast. I did, yeah. So why did you abandon that? Did you also got bored with it or were you just like not getting the results you were, you wanted or what was the story there? Well, everything, um, everything's an experiment for me. Mm -hmm. So the podcast was a lot of fun. Uh, tried it out. I actually started the podcast as a way I was pretty much trying anything to try to promote and grow ConvertKit. Mm -hmm. So I think if I look back to the timeline of the podcast, it was at a time when ConvertKit was really pretty stalled out and I was trying to like trying to find anything to, to drive more attention. So actually the first episode of the podcast is all about how do you grow your email list? And it's an interview about that. Um, and so I, I was really trying to see what else could I do? How could I get results there? Um, yeah. One episode I, I listened to was um, I, I think the first one, I'm not sure, but uh, it's uh, about the, um, being productive and productivity in general, uh, you you went through a list of things, if if I remember correctly, something like like that, uh-huh. and it um, yeah, resonated like with with me really really well. How how you define progress, like I said, so you don't have just a, a goal, but that that you maybe have a process that you work right. towards, and then basically more sustainable whatever you're doing. Yeah, and podcasting is something that I'd love to come back to. Um, I kind of got out of the habit of creating consistently just as I worked on growing the company. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I'm, I'm back, you know, actually yesterday I published my, it was the 20th Monday in a row that I published a blog post. So I, I still lean heavily on building those habits and trying to see, okay, how do I, um, basically relying on habits in those chains and, and streaks of accomplishing something to keep myself consistent. 
were you always obsessed with uh, productivity or is it just something that you want to just be just feel more productive and work in that area um it's a good question it probably started about 2011 2012 as i got into blogging yeah i, I saw well uh, i i listened to to the episode and you discussed a lot about habits um and forming them and everything and it's really interesting because i'm also listening to atomic habits right now and then i go check your instagram and i see you promoted it as well yep um do you do you know the the author yeah james is a good friend of mine no cool i met him back at a conference in back in 2012 mm. um before I wrote my first book and uh, we started kind of a mastermind group together. And, and uh, so we always get together in person at least once a year mm -hmm. uh, with another great group of guys. So yeah, atomic habits is a fantastic book. Yeah. Um, I haven't finished it yet, but uh, so far, yeah, I, I agree and I'm uh, following it uh, uh, along. And what I find, I think the, the core that I find most interesting is that you have to change who you are and like you have to change your identity um and then uh you can you can form a habit so uh an example i think he gives is that um if if someone start tries to quit smoking and is offered a cigarette and if they say like no i'm trying to quit this is bad whereas if they say no i'm not a smoker right that's like changing their identity and with that like the the habit will stick longer yeah that that kind of stuff is always interesting because habits still take a lot of work for me um, especially re, you know, building new ones or rebuilding old ones. Like I'm, I'm really working on habits around, um, like healthier eating and, and consistent exercise. Mm -hmm. And it still takes a lot of work to make that happen. Yeah. I think this is not just for you. This is for people in general, especially right. as we get older and older, it's, it's harder to change our, um, habits. Yep. And I guess it's also because it's harder to change our, uh, our identity. Like this is something you you've been working towards all your life. And now this is like, oh, this is who I am. This is what I do. So then you just follow that. Right. And I, I found it interesting because that like sort of links to how you say that you started to to write books. Because like you, you write a thousand words here and there and then you're like, oh, um, now I guess I'm a writer. And then when you change your identity that like I'm a writer, then you can publish a book. Is this how it happened for you? I don't know that before reading James material, I thought of it as an identity thing. Mm -hmm. um, I mostly just sat down and, and tried to uh, grind it out. Yeah, maybe you, you didn't know it, but it was, I guess, still the, the same principles at work. Yeah. Uh, one, one thing that you also um, said a lot in that podcast is the Pomodoro technique. Mm -hmm. Do you still practice that? Yeah, I do a slightly different variation of it now. Uh, the app I use is called Forest. Mm -hmm. Um and it's it's an app where uh, you you basically start a Pomodoro timer, uh, and if you do it for at least twenty five minutes, then you grow a tree. <laughs> if you choose a time of like ten minutes or fifteen minutes, you grow this little bush. Um, and basically, what it does is it's a focus app for your phone, and so you start this time this the timer, and if you uh, mess with your phone during that time, then it kills the tree that you were growing. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> and then in your forest, you have like this nice forest of like all these trees that you've grown for the week. And there's a dead tree there. <laughs> um, so what I do is I quit out of Slack on my computer, focus on the tasks I'm working on, hit start on my phone. And then, you know, I, I'm just have this constant reminder of like, nope, you're supposed to be working. And uh, I know that there's that tiny little thing of, 
you know, I don't want a dead tree. <laughs> um, so I, I don't mess with my phone and I'm already quit out of Slack on my computer. So uh, that's what I've been using. Another fun thing is it has leaderboards. I'm a fairly competitive person. So uh, particularly with Ashley, our director of operations at ConvertKit, she and I will compete. You know, we have each other added as friends and it's like, Oh, actually, you've only got an hour and a half focus time today. Well, guess what? I have an hour and 45 minutes. <laughs> what now? You know, we'll, we'll go from there. Um, and I, like, I'd been out of the habit of using the app for uh, maybe two weeks since I was traveling. Mm-hmm. And she posted something about, like, I'm going to quit Slack and grow a tree now. And I was like, oh, I should do that too. So I, I did the same thing. And yesterday was a pretty productive day because of it. Yeah, that's interesting. Productivity as a, as a competitive thing. I've, I've never heard it done before. <laughs> I will for sure compete to be more productive than you. <laughs> one, one thing that um, I, I have to bring up from that episode is um, that was really interesting. And I, I haven't tried it yet, but it sounded interesting. And I want to try it out is the coin toss decision technique. Yeah. Um, can you please talk about it here? Because I, I think that's like very interesting. Yeah. So the basic idea is that if you're stuck and you can't make a decision that you actually do know what you want to do. You just haven't been able to get that clarity to your mind yet. And so if you're trying to decide, should I go to this restaurant or that restaurant? Um, should I, I don't know what else, shut down this product. Should I go in this direction? Should I write the new book? Write the new book. <laughs> then what you do, if you're paralyzed in the decision, then you take a coin and you flip the coin and call it and say, okay, if it's heads, I'm going to do this, tails, I'm not going to do it. And then you look at the what the coin says. And normally you would think, okay, I'm just going to go with whatever the coin decides. And you do kind of. But what you're actually watching for is not what the coin says, but your reaction to what the coin says. Mm-hmm. Like if the coin says you're not going to do this thing, then like are you relieved or are you disappointed? Mhm. And sometimes in that, you can find out what you actually really want. Yeah, and I, I, I imagine it is also like where it's still in the air. Like what, what, do, you ex- what do you expect it to, the result to be? Yeah, what do you hope for? Yeah, the, the choice that you really want. Oh, oh, what's interesting about that is I think often we just don't trust ourselves mm-hmm. as much as we should. I think this is like a, a shortcut to our subconscious thinking right. that maybe we cannot read ourselves, but on the like deeper level we can. I went to this workshop where it it got fairly personal with people talking about life struggles and things like that. And the person organizing it would ask, okay, but what, why is that? You know, why do you think that? And they'd kind of give an answer and he'd ask another clarifying why. And they're like, you know, I, I don't know. And he would respond, but if you did know, what would it be? <laughs> and I thought that was such a fascinating question because they had like, well, I just said, I don't know. Right? Like, and he's like, great, but if you didn't know, what would the answer be? And because you usually do know or you have some kind of an idea, but it's not fully formed, so you're not going to share it. Or, um, you know, it's just floating out there. <laughs> oh, or you have some hesitancy, like maybe it's, maybe it's a dumb answer or something like that. So just by saying like, okay, but if you did know, what would the answer be? Then you're just like, I guess it'd be this. And you kind of get past that blocker. Mm-hmm. And so the coin flip is a similar idea where, you know, you flip that you're like, I, I don't know what to do. And you flip the coin and you're like, oh, it's hoping not that. <laughs> um, 
And so you're like, oh, turns out, I guess I did know. Yeah, no, it's it's very interesting. Like I said, I haven't I haven't tried it yet, but when I was listening, I was like, yeah, that sounds like uh, a thing that I might want to try to see. One thing that I also saw on your Instagram, and then I quickly checked, uh, you also had a Kickstarter for like making a documentary. Yeah, so my whole mission at ConvertKit is to help creators earn a living, and we mostly do that through software, but we also do that through. Um, you know, training, education, and inspiration. Mm-hmm. And so a couple of years ago, I had the idea to really go out and tell the stories of the creators who we serve. Um, and we were actually able to, to pull that off, which I was pretty proud of. Uh, so we hired a film crew and, and uh, uh, Barrett Brooks, who's our, he was a director of marketing at the time. Now he's our COO. Uh, he really took the lead on this project of, you know, that we funded of going out and uh, finding these creators and interviewing them. And and we actually turned it into a beautiful coffee table book as well. Mm-hmm. And so the project is called, I am a blogger and it's the story of 17 different creators, um, how they got to where they are, how they earn a living. Uh, and they're just, it's across a whole world of uh, different industries and, and everything else. So there's just some fantastic stories. And do you do you plan to do like a sequel to that, or was it like a one-off thing? I want to do a sequel. There's so much that we learned from it. Um, we have other things that we're prioritizing right now. But what was like uh, an example that you said that you learned from it, or that like what was um, what was unexpected um, from the result that you didn't like uh, maybe did not expect when going in the project? I you know I actually don't think that anything was unexpected. Um, it, it, it largely, I feel like this rarely happens to projects, but it largely came out the way we, we thought that it would. Hmm. Um, the book is a lot more beautiful than I even thought it would. Charlie, who is one of the designers on our marketing team, just did an incredible job with it. And the print quality is so good. You know, it's one of those things that I th- I think we've sold um, a thousand copies of it or something. And, and I wish that we, you know, something I want to sell a ton more copies because I, I just think the quality is so good. Yeah. If it's a, if it's a coffee table book, you, you really want it to be high quality and then you just um, like sit down and, and, and scroll through pages and see all the nice pictures and everything. Yep. For sure. And speaking of nice things, um, <laughs> how did you get involved into like woodworking? Yeah. So uh, woodworking has always been a hobby of mine. Um, growing up, my dad built the house that, uh, we lived in, Mm -hmm. um, and he always just, you know, he was never a a woodworker or a carpenter by trade, uh, but he would always do what was needed to, uh, you know, for us to have a home or something like that. Uh, and he, he put together a shop with a lot of hand-me-down tools and things that friends were getting rid of or things like that. And so growing up, we just always make things, um. Usually swords. We'd like to make swords and other <laughs> weapons. Uh, you know, and have sword fights with my brothers. Um, but that was that was always a big thing for me. And then all through high school, I would do that. Uh, and then after you know, after getting married, and my wife and I bought our first house, we did a big remodel project that I was heavily involved in. So yeah, woodworking's just always been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and so now, you know, I have a full shop in my garage. I've got a CNC machine. I have 
lots of different things. Um, and what kind of things do you usually do? Like I saw some science on your Instagram, but I guess you do. Do you still do swords? Um, I do. I still make swords. Actually, <laughs> the request the other day was uh, to make a battle axe. <laughs> um, that request came from my uh, four-year-old. So <laughs> uh, mostly, so I really like to make signs, you know, like a big convert kit sign. Or I have a, one right behind me in my office that says create. Uh, and it's all backlit by with LEDs. Mm. Uh, so that kind of thing is fun. I love making cutting boards, um, you know, small decorative things like that. We have a little guest house on our property that we rent out on Airbnb. And I uh, made wood countertops for that. Um, a lot of things like that. I just like to make stuff. Mm -hmm. And so um, whatever comes up what is it about woodworking does it like relax you when you when you do that or do you just like to create something physical after building software all day where it feels like we're just moving bits around we're not doing anything real yeah so that's definitely part of it because things on the computer just aren't as tangible mm -hmm. that's why i really enjoyed making iphone apps because the user experience was different and it felt more personal and more connected to touch it directly rather than to go through a mouse mm -hmm. um But I also think that, you know, building something in the real world is just, is great. And, and I, you can actually make pretty, some things that people think are really impressive and they're just not that hard to make, uh, once you know what you're doing. So like I've made some incredibly elaborate jewelry boxes. People are like, wow, that's incredible. And it's like, well, it was kind of just time consuming, <laughs> you know, it wasn't actually that like technically difficult. Um, I like learning new things. But yeah, I really think that having something appear in the physical world is important to me because that was a fun thing about the coffee table book and about the t-shirts and other things that we do with the ConvertKit brand mm -hmm. of really having um, this tangible thing where it's like, oh, I made this. Uh, and you can like hold it and turn the pages or whatever else. A lot of times when um, once you know how to do a certain thing, then yeah, it's just basically trading time into creating something right and i think it's the same uh, reaction people have to like when you say like ah, i was bored over the weekend and i made this web app that solves a problem that i have and they're like wow you could do that right like if if you simply don't have the skill or don't know how a certain thing gets done um it everything feels like magic or just th that you would have to be like incredible incredibly smart or talented to do a certain thing i guess yeah but that's the thing you've got to just try it anyway like i don't really know the first thing about building a tiny house but i just bought a trailer it should be here in another week or two uh and i'm gonna start building a tiny house in my spare time because that you know will be a good way to learn framing and learn a lot more construction and you know i could use it office that's outside of my house but just across the backyard so that's what i'm going to build um it'll probably take me months and be a painful obnoxious process but uh i'll learn a lot doing it so so what's that can you sorry i'm not uh, familiar with the term yeah so basically um in the united states there are a lot of zoning rules around minimum square footage and a lot of other rules mm -hmm. but basically you can't build a structure that's smaller than like 500 square feet Okay. Um, and so people get around that by buying these big flatbed trailers that are, um, say, eight and a half feet wide by 20 or 24 feet long, and then building a house on that. 
So it has like a, a little kitchen and, and bathroom and living room and usually a loft bed. Hmm. Um, and they're very popular in the United States. Uh, you know, especially on Instagram and Pinterest. <laughs> um, and so they're just fun because it's this little structure. It's semi-permanent. So you have it somewhere. It feels like it's built in. It's much higher quality than like an RV, um, you know, or a camper van, something like that. But it's also, if you do want to move it, uh, you can, you can just hook it up to a truck and, and go move it though. It's more work. You know, you wouldn't like tour the country with it necessarily. Yeah. Um, those, some people do. Uh, so like I want to have, I work from home and I want to have a home office, um, but I want it to be outside of the house. I, I want to have a commute. That's not just down the hall. I want it to be like across the backyard. So there's a little more separation. <laughs> uh, so that, so then I want to, you know, go and build this project. So I, I basically get all the experience and practice of building a, a mini house. Um, and it, it'd be quite nice and practical for me. So that that's the next project. And another project that I, I guess is um, now complete that you moved to to a farm, like you you bought a, a farm and moved there with your family. Yeah, well, the moving is complete. Everything after that is far from complete. <laughs> um, but yeah, we bought uh, a four and a half acre farm in Boise. Um, so that's it's big, but not not that big. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have a bunch of animals. Uh, we current, we, we had two goats and then, you know, as they had babies and all that, we now have 10, <laughs> oh, <wow>. um, <laughs> we have 25 chickens. Um, you know, we're going to get pigs soon. Uh, so just kind of building up this homestead. We have a, a half acre garden. So why did you decide to do that? Uh, it's something that my wife loves. I really like having space. I grew up in the mountains. Um, but she really likes the animals and, and the whole homesteading aspect of it. Um, she loves great food. And so growing all our own vegetables and everything in the garden mm -hmm. and having our own orchard uh, for fruit, you know, those things are, it just makes for really qu high quality food. And the animals you, you breed for um, eating or just to be there? Um, we, we milk the goats. Okay. Um, goat milk is delicious everyone i offered to is like what no that's weird i only drink cow milk goat milk is weird and i finally get them to try it and they're like oh this is really good it's like cow milk but better and i'm like uh-huh <laughs> um so yeah uh the pigs when once we get them those will be for eating mm -hmm. um and some of the uh, most of the chickens are for laying eggs but some of them are for eating as well so yeah <laughs> I, i like being in I guess like the cutting edge of technology mm -hmm. and then also uh, on the other side, on the other side, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the other side, like going out and putting in irrigation and building fences and, and everything else. Um, it's also a great environment for my kids to grow up in. Mm -hmm, definitely. I'm like, you know, with the success of ConvertKit, we have quite a bit of money. Uh, and I want to make sure that that's balanced by being the kind of people who, we spend our time working outside and building things and, uh, you know, just learning a lot of practical skills and, and, uh, learning a love for hard work. I think that's, uh, that's very important. There were, I don't know, se several standups in, in that I, it, it, it escapes in now, but like in, in a way that if, 
um, your parents are, let's not say rich, but just like well off that you are more likely to be spoiled. And I think what you're doing and, and all that is like really great to, to like have that your kids have some working habits and, and all that. Yep. For sure. Yeah. It's hard to be spoiled if you grow up working on a farm. So yeah, uh, that's the plan. <laughs> goat milk. Like I, I, I don't like particularly, but I really like goat cheese. Yeah. Well, the trick is for the goat milk, you have to not have a male goat because they make it smell bad. So if you don't have a male goat, it tastes totally different. So just a I'll little, keep it little mind pro for, tip from your local yeah, software founder. For, for when I start my own farm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I also saw you have a beehive. So the, the, the bees come with the property as well? No, we, we bought the bees uh, imported from California. Mm. it's weird like this box shows up with like ten thousand bees in it and then you you build a little like hive boxes for them and release the bees into the hive um again that's more my wife's thing than mine but uh so i was pretty skeptical when she wanted to start doing it but now i'm like this is great mm. and that first winter or that first fall uh she harvested like seven or eight quarts of honey and they were just getting started so um it's fun really looking forward to watching that grow this year and then it's nice because they pollinate our garden and our fruit trees and, yeah. and everything else also honey like homemade or like home produced tastes so much better than anything else yeah it's so good and it's just it's really fun like we had a big harvest party this fall where we had all of our friends come over and we tried to to serve as many dishes dishes as possible that were from our land mm-hmm. um you know, and, and like the applesauce we had made from our apple trees and, mm. and so many things, mm. the pumpkins, some of them, the pumpkins next year should be a lot better. Ours didn't turn out super well this year, <laughs> but some of them were from our property. Um, and it's just fun. We like kind of that self-sufficient, uh, just making the things that we use and, and growing the food that we eat. To go a bit in another direction, like you said, you mentioned before that uh, ConvertKit has been um, financially very successful. And this is something I found interesting with um, both ConvertKit and you personally, that you share your revenue and like personal income, like you you share publicly how much you made from selling the books and, and all that. Um, why did you start doing that and why do you keep doing it? And Yeah, so... I have a personal motto of teach everything, you know, mm-hmm. and it's actually one of ConvertKit's mottos as well. And part of the reason behind it is that as I was learning other people teaching and sharing became the most important things. Like, uh, when I was doing a lot more web design, people would say, Oh, you're a self-taught web designer. Mm-hmm. I remember thinking like, well, kind of, but not really. Like I'm, I'm self-driven, but I didn't teach myself web design. All the people who wrote these blog posts and these books and everything else, they taught me. I just had the, like had the drive to, to consume all the information and act on it without like someone forcing me to sit in a classroom. And so as I was writing my first book uh, and publishing that, you know, there were all these articles out there about, um, how other people had done it. And so my biggest idea is, okay, that was super helpful for me. So I'm going to pay it forward. And all the way through, I'm going to do that. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I just took it to the, to the next level and said, you know, with advice, if you put in the details of um, like the exact financial information, it's way more compelling. So if I say, hey, here's five product launch tips, I'm like, you know, then you might think, great, those are super interesting. But by the way, how much does that make for you? And if I don't include any financials, then you don't have context. I might have used those five product launch tips to make $20,000 or I might have used them to make $200. And before you act on it, you actually want that context because you want to know, okay, but how successful was this for you? Mm -hmm. Um, And everyone likes to leave out the financial numbers. And so I said, you know what? I'm going to do the opposite. I'm going to put, make everything totally transparent. All of ConvertKit's numbers are updated in real time. Uh, You can go to convertkit.barometrics.com and um, see them all live. It's exactly the dashboard that I look at every day. And that way, um, you know, everyone can follow along and they can see, okay, when ConvertKit was at $20,000 a month, what was their churn? What was going on in the business? How long did it take to go from 20,000 to 100,000 a month? Um, You know, all of these different things. Mm -hmm. And I can, I can teach all of that. And my idea is that hopefully any other software founder following along will have this tiny little head start over what I had because of uh, the resources that, you know, kind of the breadcrumbs that we're leaving behind. Yeah, I know Buffer does similar uh-huh. and there are a couple of more companies, but it's definitely, it's not a standard procedure to to publish your, your numbers. Right. But maybe like for companies that like, they want to appear open and, and all that and they, they feel like they're contributing back and, and I get it, but um. I'm I'm more interested in like why are you doing this like personally with your own own personal stuff as well, like you do this year in, in reviews and and all that. Yeah, it's the same the same principles, right? I'm I've learned from everyone else, and so I'm trying to pay it forward by being transparent uh, with everything that I do. Mm-hmm. Do you want to run an Airbnb? Well, you know, you want to know how much could that make? Mine made ten thousand dollars last year, mm-hmm. so. You know, that information is out there and there's a post about it and uh, people can go find it. Um, Was there any occurrence of this like biting you that like someone got the the info that you didn't want to or something like that? Well, I've had competitors of ConvertKit tell me, hey, I really appreciate that you publish your numbers every month. Like that's super helpful for us. (laughs) Uh, And we've used that to get insights about your business. And, you know... So that's one thing, like a bunch of smart people have told me, like, you should not do this. This is <laughs> uh, That was fine when you were smaller, but now that you guys are making over a million dollars a month, like, you gotta stop. Um, and I just disagree. Uh, my personal mission and ConvertKit's mission is to help creators earn a living. And so I even look at competitors and say, you know what, if it helps you guys earn a living and run a successful company, then great. I'm living out my mission. Mm-hmm. I don't need to live in a winner take all world. Yeah, no, it's it's um it's definitely um interesting. I I see a lot of people posting that, but I don't know, maybe maybe it's my personal thing. I'm not uh, uh or maybe it's like it's a, it's a Slovenian thing <laughs> that we're just more close-minded and this um wouldn't be accepted, I guess. It would be considered maybe as boasting or, or something like that if you would publish how much you're making. Yeah, you know, a lot of it, it is considered that in the in the U.S. as well. Um, mm-hmm. And talking about money is definitely taboo. 
And I think everyone is worse off because of it. But at least US, I think, is very capitalistic uh, oriented, and and you're like celebrated if you if you're rich. Well, eh, not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Try being a billionaire right now, and then they're for sure not celebrated. Well, um, uh, do you have a billion laying around to to, to lend me? <laughs> right. Uh, yeah. So I would say. You know, people don't talk about salaries. Mm-hmm. I actually remember one friend who uh, shared his income and other numbers online. And he was talking to his aunt who was saying like, why don't you do that? That's horrible. How could you like all this stuff, all the like 101 reasons not to do this. And he was just like, you work for the school district, right? And she's like, yeah. And he goes, oh, well, let's go on to the, the state website, uh, state of Illinois. And look at this, punch it all in. Is that your salary? And she's like, wait, what? (laughs) And so everyone thinks that like sharing salaries is the craziest thing or sharing company revenue is the craziest thing. But in most states in the United States, um, that information is already public if you are a state employee. Mm -hmm. You know, so if you're a police officer or a teacher or a politician or any of those things, that information is already public. And there's websites where I can go and punch in your name and and find it there. so I thought that was a funny example, but then also with companies, it, you know, there's all these publicly traded companies. No one is like, I really wonder how much money Apple made last year or yeah. last quarter yeah. because they're required to report it. So I like to remind people that being willing to share salary information or, you know, personal income or company income is not actually that crazy of an idea. And I think we'd be better off as a culture if we just got over it and said, you know, we're transparent about those things and people start to learn, Oh, if I went into this career, this is what I could earn. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause they might have this idea that like, if they want to make money, they should be a doctor. Uh, and if they are a writer, they won't really make money. And I'm like, I know a lot of bloggers who make way more money than doctors. <laughs> so I'm going to keep making this public so that you know, you don't have to go to med school for <laughs> eight years or whatever uh, in order to make $300,000 a year. I don't know. There are also certain employers who prevent their employees to share their numbers, even with each other. Um, but and that's that I find crazy, right? Yeah, but there's a very specific reason for that. Yeah, of course it is. The reason is so that they can get away with paying you less, mm-hmm. because one person is going to come in and maybe they made forty thousand dollars a year in their last position. And the average salary for this position, or, you know, and, and this new role is hiring at 60000 And so they're going to come in. The employer is going to ask them, hey, so what do you need to make? And you're like, oh, I want to make a big jump. So I'd like to make $50,000 a year. And the employer is like, okay, I think we can make that happen. So you come in, you're making $50,000 a year. Someone else comes in, negotiates better, and ends up making $60,000 a year for the same work. Mm-hmm. Or maybe they were making 55 or 60 before, and so they're like, look, I can't take less than 60. Great, and all that. So if you two talk to each other, then you both find out that you are getting have the same experience and are getting paid less for the same work. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you're going to be upset about that. You're going to want that $10,000 raise. Mm. Whereas if the employer bans you from talking to each other, then... Uh, it's not an issue. Like you're not allowed to talk about it. And so if you discover that, that's your fault. You broke company policy uh, and they can get away with saving $10,000 a year. Yeah. The thing is people will still talk and then it will really backfire, which is totally. And that's why like at ConvertKit, we have standardized salaries. Mm-hmm. 
So if you're a level two or a level three engineer, you make this exact same amount as, um, you know, another level three engineer, mm-hmm. regardless of geography or, or uh, gender or anything mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. So that's how we make sure there's no, there's no gender pay gap at ConvertKit. There's no, there's just none of that. Yeah. Because, problem with that is then setting the levels and assessing how, um, which level you are and all that, but that's like a, a different kind of worms, I guess. Yep. And that, that's a problem further along and and we can have a whole conversation about why someone is an engineer two and what it would take for them to become an engineer three yeah example yeah but let's talk about something completely different um you uh, besides farm you also bought a ghost town i did Uh, why (laughs) well i I think the better question is why not um you know if you have an opportunity to buy a ghost town who would who would pass up on that? Um, <laughs> there's a there's a reason it's called the ghost town. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> oh man, yeah. So uh, over the summer, a friend of mine, uh, or two friends, Ryan Holiday and Brent Underwood, got in touch, and they're like, "Hey, we have this opportunity. We're uh, we're buying a ghost town. <laughs> the only problem <laughs> is we need more money. So we're like texting and emailing friends to see who else wants to get in on this with us." And it ended up being that, uh, I believe 10 of us came together and bought the ghost town. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, the town is called Cerro Gordo, which means fat hill in Spanish. Mm-hmm. And it, uh, is in California. Uh, if anyone listening knows where Death Valley is, it's about an hour north of there or Mammoth, but ski resort. It's near there. Um, it's a beautiful place way up in the mountains at 8,500 feet. So over a mile well over a mile and a half in the air mm-hmm. uh or above sea level and it's got like 20 buildings um at one point it was the largest silver producer for the city of los angeles so it was a mining town yeah exactly it has uh, well over 10 miles of mines underneath it oh wow uh, just an incredible complex and so the reason that we bought it is there's this trend happening a lot where people want experiences, not just uh, like a destination for their, uh, they don't just want to go have a vacation and sit on a beach. They actually want to go have a unique experience and, and learn about history and, and, and be much more involved than just like getting a sunburned by the ocean. <laughs> and so that's the kind of travel that we love of like, whether it's hiking or backpacking or, um, you know, any of these much more interesting things rather than just staying at a Marriott somewhere. <laughs> um, and so like seeing this trend and, and seeing the opportunity of this town, we decided to come together and buy it and turn it into a place where we can host corporate events and masterminds and, uh, uh, you know, really preserve all the history of it and give people this unique experience and, and this place to hang out. So you want to have it for some sort of like team retreats and stuff like that with activities and yeah, it's not big enough to be able to host the convert kit team. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, eventually it'll like a smaller team. It'd be able to host. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we're working on making it a little less rustic. Uh, soon it will have running water. It does have um, satellite internet and electricity right now. So that's pretty luxurious. <laughs> well, you still need some, some water, right? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it, a few, so it's very cold there right now, mm-hmm. uh, it being winter, but, um, once it thaws out a little bit, then we'll, 
we'll bring water up, you know, then we'll finish all the, the big water project. And how involved are you with uh, with planning and um, changes, improvements and all that? Are you just like an investor or? Like more active than a typical investor, but, um, you know, there's, there's a team there that's way more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I am planning my next trip down there. It's about a 600 mile drive uh, from Boise. Mm-hmm. And so we did a fun road trip last fall to go down there and check it out. Um, and I plan to take a couple trips down, uh, this spring and summer. What's the, so long-term plan. Do you want to, do you want to grow it? If it's, if it's successful, do you want to be like accommodate more people or do you want to keep it this size and, um, this vibe? We wanted to accommodate some number of more people, um, but not that many more, you know? So right now with the bedrooms that it has, it could sleep like 30 or 40 people. Mm-hmm. Um, and we would like to grow it so it could sleep 80. Yeah, with 80, I think you can cover a lot of companies if, you, if you're if focusing on like company retreats and stuff like that. Yeah, we also, it's a popular tourist destination. Like when I was there in October, uh, like I didn't know anything about the place hardly because mm-hmm. it was my first time there. The regular caretaker uh, was gone on vacation and like people would just come through um, mm-hmm. and come and visit. You know, they'd get their four-wheel drive vehicles and, And drive up there. So I gave five tours to different groups of people, you <laughs> know, cool. just with information that I learned like over the previous week. <laughs> um, but like just in a single morning, because people show up there like a lot and want to check it out. And so is it by a popular road or how do they, how do people just come there? Um, I mean, it's listed on TripAdvisor and, and things oh, like okay. that. It's for, for decades, it's been a popular destination. Oh, okay. So, so it, it wasn't completely that ghost town. It was something was going on there uh there was one guy who lived there one caretaker it's pretty much completely dead <laughs> um you know and he was just keeping track of it making sure that nobody vandalized it or things like that mm-hmm. um but the road to get to it is like seven miles up this dirt road where you gain nearly a mile of elevation so it's a tricky road um but it is a like a popular uh day trip that people do to go up there and see this cool old town so we'll turn that you know we'd love to to make it so that people can actually see more things mm-hmm. and, and do more things, you know, have a spot for people to get food and all that. And the mines are completely closed or can you enter them? Well, there's a lot of them. <laughs> uh, most of them are closed. The ones that aren't closed have no trespassing signs on it because mm. no one wants the liability from that. Yeah. Uh, but we have gone in, there's a lot of mines that are safe to go in mm-hmm. and you know, they're locked up, but uh, as an owner, you know, I have the keys. <laughs> that would be an interesting treasure hunt. Yeah. Uh, they're pretty crazy. They just keep going back literally for miles. Is, is there uh, anything else that you, you'd like to talk about? Is there any any uh, hobby? Like what are you excited these days besides ConvertKit? Uh, that's a good question. I'm excited by building a tiny house. We already talked about <laughs> that, but that's my, my big next project. I guess I play a lot of soccer. Mm. Uh, but that's not a super interesting topic. It's mostly just like I joined way too many soccer teams. Mm. I live, you know, seven or eight minutes away from the indoor soccer facility. And, uh, you know, that's what I do three nights a week. Mm. And I guess you're competitive in that as well. No, not at all. <laughs> Very, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I'm competitive though. I'm not that good of a soccer player. because I just started playing four years ago. Uh, mm-hmm. So I try to get on teams where I'm the worst player. <laughs> What was the reason that you started playing it? Uh, a friend just invited me out to uh, uh, to come and, and play. And 
I was like, no, I'm, I'm not coordinated at all. And he's like, oh, it's a super beginner team. Come out and have, you'll have fun. <laughs> and I had a great time. Like I was terrible, but I had a great time. And, uh, you know, just watching every month get a tiny bit better. And it's just, it's a lot of fun and it's great exercise. And it's right by my house. So why not? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And what's the general popularity of soccer or football as we call it here? It's getting more popular. I, it's certainly not as popular as baseball or American football mm-hmm. or anywhere close to that. You know, we're coming into basketball season and yeah. basketball is way more popular. But soccer, I think, is probably the fastest growing sport in the United States by popularity. Mm-hmm. So it'll, it'll get there, but it's certainly not. I mean, the level of soccer played in the United States is there's no comparison to like what the pro teams in Europe are, are doing as far as skill level and compensation and everything else. Yeah. My compensations here are just crazy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean, in the US, it's just, it's not there at all. Yeah. I would say on the Western coast of the US, um, it's way more popular than in the East. At least as best I can tell. Interesting. I was just, yeah, I was just wondering because I know it's, yeah, it's not a, it never was a huge sport there. But yeah, I guess it's gaining. Um, I have a, another question that I always ask at the at the end of the podcast, which is like, yeah, what would be uh, three things that made uh, a lasting impression on, on you or change your life? And this could be like books or articles or videos or like whatever, just thoughts in general. Yeah. Just three things that you think made like a big impression on you or change your life. The first thing that comes to mind is Jason Freed from Basecamp talking about how making money is a skill in the same way that playing the drums or learning to cook or anything else is a skill. And someone someone comes out and is like, I just can't make money. It's like, well, what have you done to practice? How, what are the products that you've made? How have you gotten better at getting a job or, um, you know, the skill that you compensated for or whatever else. So what I liked about that is it took something that was always abstract, um, and turned it into something where it's like, oh, this is in my control. I can get better at this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I decided to do. <laughs> so that would be the first thing, you know? So I, I he has a few videos about that, mm-hmm. um, that I'd highly recommend checking out. You know, one, another thing would be my parents were always into learning new things. So whether it was my mom just deciding like, you know what? I think I want to be, she was always interested in fitness, but I want to be a certified personal trainer or uh, my dad constantly reading and learning or, and then them both being willing to, you know, build a house or undertake a project or start a business, something like that. Um, mm-hmm that always had a, had a big impact on me. Like seeing so much of that is how uh, I've been shaped. And then the last thing I would say comes from being homeschooled where, uh, you know, in typical school, you go at the pace of the entire class, which is usually the pace of the slowest person mm-hmm. um, in the room or, or close to that. Whereas homeschooling, you go at your own pace. And one thing that my parents were good at is letting me set that pace in an aggressive way. And so they, well, when I was just starting high school, all my friends were older than me. And so they were, I was realizing that they're all going to go off to college pretty soon. And I'm going to be like the only one still left in high school for two more years, you know? Um, 
And I didn't like that idea. So I asked my parents, like, hey, is this high school thing, is it a certain amount of work or is it four years um, of school? And they said, no, it's a certain amount of work. Like, if you get it done faster, that's fine. And so I just said, like, okay, I'm going to need that in a to-do list format. Like, (laughs) tell me exactly what I have to do and we'll knock it out. (laughs) And we would take these long road trips to go visit family, you know, eight or nine hours away. And I remember thinking, like, okay, I'm bored in the car on these road trips. I'm also bored when I'm doing algebra. So why don't I just combine those? <laughs> be twice as bored. <laughs> yeah. I'd actually be a lot more interested, you know, because I'm like getting like, getting things done and accomplishing things and time would fly by. And I'd, I'd get like weeks worth of uh, algebra done on a drive from Boise to Seattle. Um, and I had my older brothers there and my mom was in the car. So okay, if I had questions, I could just ask and mm-hmm. get the help that I needed. And so I ended up being able to graduate high school when I was 15, almost 16, instead of graduating at 18. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the big lesson from that, you know, I knew that, okay, I could set my own pace. But what was more interesting than that was something that I read years later um, in a book called Anything You Want by Derek Sivers. And he basically talked about how there is no speed limit. You can go at whatever pace. And once that really sunk in, I was like, oh, I can build a company as fast as I want. I can go through school as fast as I want. Um, you know, any of these things, the pace is set by me. Mm-hmm. And when everyone says this takes four years or most companies fail or anything else, it's like, okay, that's just the average. I can I can set my own pace because there is no speed limit. That's very interesting way to look at things. Uh, thanks for this uh, insightful uh, conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Oh, it was uh, it was my pleasure. Thanks uh, again, and uh, bye. Bye. All right, this was my interview with Nathan. I would love if you would share this podcast with your friends and followings. Send them a message, tweet it out, or write a Facebook post. You want them to listen to a good podcast, right? If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, you would truly make my day if you post a review there. I get a lot of DMs, but no one sees those. Reviews are there for everyone to see, and they help other people discover good shows. Like, you know, this one. If you use a different app like Breaker, Overcast, or anything that supports liking or favoriting, I'd appreciate your action there as well. You can also financially support this podcast. I know that right now you're probably running, driving, walking a dog, or doing dishes. But when you come back to your computer and your hands have dried, I invite you to go to patreon.com slash That's patreon.com slash P-A-R-P-A-S-P-O-D. Or open the show notes and follow the Patreon link there. Thank you. You can find this show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We are at parapasspot on all of them. All the links from this episode are in the show notes and on our website, parallelpassion.com 24. Thank you for listening and have a passionate day.